everyone, and welcome to Tea with Mama Cash, because feminist activism works, with your hosts, Zora Musa and Happy Mwende Kinyeli. Hi, I'm Zora, the executive director at Mama Cash, and I'm actually really full of maple syrup, and I'm also really very tired, so I have this weird sensation in my body of being completely fried and also completely wired, and that might come out in this podcast. <laughs> and I'm happy, I'm the director of programs at Mama Cash. I don't have Zora's problems, but I'm seated in this fancy ass new studio where we are recording and I have to say thanks to our producers because dang, I'm feeling fancy. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the body on the podcast and happy you and I talk about the body a lot and that's not uncommon for feminists. Feminists are always talking about the body and why is that? Why is the body such an important topic of conversation for feminists, a site of struggle for feminists, a place where we theorize from and about, and why have we decided to dedicate an entire podcast episode just to the body? I think questions that we'll dive into further, but as we were coming to this fanciest new pod, uh, studio, both Zora and I got completely lost, and so we are on our phones trying to do Google Maps, moving physically, but we're talking to each other and just words are getting exchanged and we're trying to get here. And then when we get here and we sit and we're trying to figure out, okay, let's prepare for this. It's like, it's our bodies that brought us here. But I think part of why feminists focus so much on the bodies that we forget. We live in a world where folks say because of the Cartesian split, God knows what, patriarchy, we're very alienated from the very thing that moves us around in the world, that we show up in, that we struggle from, that we speak from, that we feel from. And so as we go through this conversation today, I think it's invoking, for me at least, it's very deliberately invoking and trying to remember we are our bodies. Our bodies are us and we want to talk about why that is so deeply political for us feminists. So Zora, feminist since you were three years old, is that the story you tell? <laughs> Let's just say a long time a ago. A long time ago. What do you think, feel, say, have opinions about the body? Why is it so important for you as a feminist? And why do you think we as feminists continue to so deeply hold the prominence and importance of bodies as sites of struggle? I think probably there are many things we could say here as an answer to that. I think some of the things I think about are that the body for me is the first site of struggle because for many people that I have organized with as an activist, as a feminist activist, one of the first agenda points that's come out is how their bodies were treated. And feeling harm or experiencing violences on their bodies is what enlivened them to problems that they then sought to try to transform through feminism. And it was things like being policed about what they were wearing, facing sexual harassment, um, being controlled physically. Those were some of the things that were coming up for people. And I think I still kind of feel like we know liberation not as an idea, mm -hmm. but as a feeling inside ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we don't believe when people are saying, are telling us we're free when we don't feel it inside our bodies, when we don't feel like we can move through space mm -hmm. as we choose to, showing up as we want to. And I feel like 
it's a site of struggle because we'll know when that struggle is over because our bodies will feel differently and we will feel differently in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Gosh, as you speak, many things come up for me. And the, the first thing that actually comes up for me is the feeling. I feel right now in my body the the thing I hope for. I hope to feel this way one day. And it's a... It sits in in a very specific, often very rarely accessed part of my being because there's very little in my day-to-day that is about remembering that liberation or the possibility of liberation actually sits in my body. Um, and I think that it is an important reminder that that's, that, that that should be, could be, would be um, a place from which to actually move as I, as I fight for this liberation in the world. Um, but if I was to answer the same question for myself, I remember when I was 12, 11, much younger, when I, 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 I was paying attention, I grew up in the church, and I was paying attention to the bodies that would speak from the pulpit, and recognizing that those bodies never looked like mine. And I started asking questions about why is it this way, et cetera, et cetera. And honestly, I came to feminism via Christianity, um, a story for another podcast. But there is, it is the same, right? The, the watching people and being in conversation with people about how the violence, the absence, the negation of their bodies is what brings a lot of people to their struggles for liberation, for justice, for freedom. Um, as well as the actual use of our bodies for that, right? So putting our bodies on the line or having our bodies put on the line um, and having to experience that and struggle physically, mentally, emotionally in your body because of the violence that is coming at you. And I think that, yeah, I, I I find it extremely valuable and extremely honest of feminism to so to keep coming back to that as a starting point because it is that is what is in the world how we struggle how we live that makes me think a little bit about the funny situation we're in funny in, in quotes situation odd situation that we're in where the thing we're talking about is ideology right so um eminently of the mind and that's what feminism is it's a, it's a kind of a craft around ideology And there are practices, you can talk about feminist practice, feminist praxis, many things like this, feminist movement building, Um, but it is also an ideological struggle. And yet, we can say that that ideological struggle is about a woman's body, for example. A lot of the contestation is around a woman's body, right? So um, abortion rights, sexuality rights, sexual rights... Um, clothing, women as property, sex work, all of it, right? So we can talk about the way women's bodies are used in an ideological battle that is patriarchy Mm -hmm. versus feminism. And yet still, I come back to the idea that actually we would only know truly if we were free, if we could feel it in our bodies, no matter what words are coming out of our mouth. Mm -hmm. And I don't exactly know what to do with that mm-hmm. and I and I know people talk about kind of living in embodied politics 
You're nodding, so I turn to you, Happy. <laughs> what does it mean? I'm not good at this because I, I live a lot more in my head. But from folks, one of my close friends who she and I see the world very, come at the world, see it very similarly, but come at the world very differently is often will say, just stop and feel and then speak that feeling or speak from that feeling um, or recognize what happens in your body when something is said and acknowledge it. Because, for example, as we're coming in, we're having a difficult conversation about how race plays out in our everyday work and life experience. Racism oh. plays out. Sorry, yes, <laughs> in racism. In <our> life and work. <laughs> um, and so, and we stopped and we, we walked away from each other to come here. And as I was walking away, I didn't, now that you say it, I realized I was feeling I was recognizing what our conversation had done to my body and I had to shake it out to be able to come to this conversation and maybe that is what embodied politics is that there's because it stays in my body like that that is when I got to the Netherlands initially I was angry for a long time and I didn't recognize that the expression of anger was my experience of moving in what coming from, I was moving from the continent, the continent, to a predominantly white place. And it I, I didn't process it in my head or in my words, so it sat in my body. And eventually I had to find ways to move move that energy in my body so that I could not find liberation, but find, take care of myself, be, a, be able to take care of myself better in this context. Mm-hmm. And I know some feminists who talk about the body, not just as the first set of struggle, as the first territory mm-hmm. that um, folks who seek to, to dominate are attempting to colonize. And so the process by which women are alienated from their bodies is an extractive process, is a violent process, and is part of um, the process of patriarchal domination. And so I see also the, the split that we have, our tendency to go to the head kind of as a mode of self-preservation, but also giving in mm-hmm. to a force that is trying to dissociate our, us from our bodies mm-hmm. and cut off our feeling. Mm-hmm. Because if the feeling is the place from which we will know we are free mm-hmm. and we're not able to access that, we're losing something. Yeah. And so it's really important to be able to come back to that place and check in mm-hmm. and understand ourselves from inside. This podcast is made possible by Mama Cash. Mama Cash is an international fund for feminist activism, and we give grants and other kinds of support to women, girls, trans people, and intersex people all around the world who are collectively fighting for a much more just and joyous world. For today's episode, we got in touch with one of our grantee partners who are doing incredible work around the issue of the body. Hi, I'm Annelies Tucker, and I work as an international policy officer for NNID, the Netherlands Organization for Sex Diversity. Mama Cash was our first funder, and without their support, we would not have gotten where we are today. 
Our organization works on policy for safeguarding human rights and the emancipation of intersex people, both nationally and internationally. Intersex refers to the experiences of people who are born with a body that does not meet the normative definition of male and female. The first question I often get asked is how that is different from transgender. Well, transgender people are born with bodies that do meet the normative definition, but their gender identity does not match with the norm. And while some intersex people don't identify with the gender they were raised in, most do. Therefore, intersex is quite different from transgender, but we regularly work together on emancipation. And emancipation of intersex people is necessary. Intersex people are often told to hide this part of themselves, and shame often leads to isolation and an increase in problems with mental health, while there is generally no physical reason for these issues. In terms of human rights, our efforts are essential because some intersex people face a violation of their bodily integrity through normalizing treatment without their informed autonomous consent, just to fit more with society's definition of male and female. Sadly, this happens almost everywhere else in the world as well. Last December, the United Nations Committee Against Torture strongly recommended the Kingdom of the Netherlands to abolish these normalizing interventions until intersex people are old and mature enough to decide for themselves whether they would like to adjust their bodies. If you want to know more, check out sexediversiteit.nl for Dutch or oieeurope.org for English. Do you want to learn more about our work and the work of our grantee partners and learn how you can help support them? then head to www.mamacash.org. On our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter and be the first to hear news and stories about feminist activism from around the world. So as we're talking about before, that we, we know in our bodies what freedom looks like, what liberation feels like, I think it then makes so much sense the kind of work that Mama Cash supports because we actually support the people who who are carrying the solutions in their bodies to this messed up world that we live in. Um, and I think that the work of our partners around the world constantly demonstrates every time I read about their work, I talk to them, I hear about it, of how their bodies continue to be reaching for this freedom for this liberation and the things that they do um, for example one of our partners in Paraguay who which is a group of queer slash lesbian f uh, women who use the batacudes so I'm not from that part of the world but I understand them to be a drum ensemble and they take up space in terms of physically with their bodies the drums are fairly big and they, they're part of protest, they lead the protest, they, the music itself that is generated by the drums, you move with your body, and doing stuff, right? Like women, queer bodies should be in the streets in certain ways, and I feel that's part of the resistance and the reaching for the joy and the liberation that we all carry in our bodies and want to reach for an exercise and offer up as an example of this is what makes sense in the world. This is, this is the world, y'all, you, you know, patriarchs of the world, this is ultimately what you want to be living. Let yourselves go and do it. Um, and I think that, I guess, this 
the 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 work the work of using your body to disrupt space to take up space to demonstrate and live out liberation is is so deeply feminist and excites me about what Mama Cash supports around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes me think of a little bit what you were speaking about earlier in terms of in terms of racism and and I mean the many conversations we have about that and where where we're sitting with it right now and the the fact of how some bodies some women's bodies and some other kinds of bodies are automatic interruptions Mm -hmm. to a space just by being there and how profoundly disruptive um, those bodies can be just by being present in a place that was not designed for them that is actively trying to exclude them and what an affront it is for some people that those bodies show up there and so we've had that in, in a variety of civil rights movements, for example, where there were signs telling some bodies to not be there and other bodies were okay to be there and how, how violently that was opposed, the trans, how violently the transgression was experienced and then policed mm-hmm. if the other body showed up in the wrong slot, mm-hmm. you know, not, not following the right sign. And also how we play with that, right, as feminists, where we deliberately go where we're not supposed to go mm-hmm. and watch what happens um, and, p- and try to push the boundaries there to show up in places not designed for us. That's the nice version. The other version is actively working to exclude and annihilate us, mm-hmm. eviscerate us from presence to make our existence not real in that place, not ever known, not allowed, and how we show up anyway sometimes at great personal cost Mm -hmm. to interrupt that. And it can be so simple. Just being present where you weren't supposed to be can break open so many things. The whole world can break in that moment Mm -hmm. for some people Mm -hmm. just from that little transgression, little Mm -hmm. in quotes, Mm -hmm. transgression. Yeah. And as you say that, it's just, it makes me think that immense power that is in the bodies of folks who are removed from or bodies that are controlled often and w- what it means when we collectivize that power, right? Because one of the things that I find we do sometimes really well and sometimes we do, we're very shit at is showing up, right? So one one body shows up to to transgress in some way deliberately or just because that's part of what is required of them and sometimes other bodies then come and say either we'll put our bodies before so that you don't have to experience this violence or we'll stand by you and be part of so that the violence that is it's no longer just directed at one person it's directed at multiple people and collectively we can we can just be here and see what that looks like and yeah and the I think of particularly of one one moment where a group of black women from all around the world organized and folks resisted. And I remember being in the space with black women and we were actually celebrating that resistance because that resistance was proof positive of the kind of power we have and the kind of power we just carry by being. Um, and and just, I don't know, almost sit and bask in that and and remember and remember that in the moments when yeah, the powers that are coming at you feel much stronger than what you have. Um, there's, there's a friend of mine who constantly says, "Always remember the thing you have in you is greater than whatever is coming at you," and 
and those memories of the power of just watching folks shake in their in their boots because hey there's a group of black women who are just sitting and laughing and <laughs> that is somehow uncomfortable for white folk yeah we are that powerful it, it's mm-hmm. good to remember it's it's um it can that can that can sound a bit abstract for people i think right who aren't aren't used to thinking about things this way and so i was trying to think of an example that we could use to describe what we're talking about and the thing that's coming to my mind is is rosa parks and her bus and the idea that she she was supposed to stand up and not sit in that seat and i mean she's credited with launching various parts of the civil rights movement um, and that's what I meant about the the power of a very simple act suddenly breaking ho- open a whole thing. That's the story we tell ourselves about her action of not getting up from that seat and just saying, no, I'm sitting right here. It's a bus seat. I mean, she's tired. It's the end of her day. She, and the, th- the thing about it was it was completely orchestrated. Mm-hmm. People had done it before her as a deliberate tactic. Mm-hmm. And she had done it herself. She had done it herself. And there was a kind of the thing that made it break open was, of course, it was shocking to some people at some time, but that there were a whole bunch of people around her ready to to be with her mm-hmm. as she did that transgression. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, that's what gave it force in the end. And that makes me think about, an, I mean, we have many grantee partners who do just this, right, who use their bodies to disrupt um, what others are seeing as normal, but which is really not okay for, for them. Um, and one partner I particularly want us, us to talk about, bec- the reason I wanted us to, to use this example was um, that it's about Indigenous women organizing. And right now, Indigenous women around the world, as they always have been, but now we have found a way to see them in a different way, are holding the line on s- such important struggles. Um, and Indigenous people around the world have been deliberately genocided. We continue to do that. Um, and and these women, I wanted to kind of lift up their example of how they continue to just show up in in the clothing that is meaningful for them, in the way that is meaningful for them, just to, with their bodies, say, no, mm-hmm. we don't accept. This is not okay. Um, and we re- refuse you permission to act in this way. And the group I wanted to mention was, it's called Subakahan. Um, and they, they organize in Mindanao in the Philippines. And they're a group of indigenous women in the Mindanao region. And they're now under threat because of martial law and the government's plan um, to sell their ancestral lands to large foreign companies for mining, for plantations, um, and for other so-called development projects that are highly destructive to their, of course, livelihoods and to many other people's livelihoods, but actually to their lives as well. It's an incredibly militarized region and the indigenous people that are in opposition to these plans are actively displaced. And these women organize, and what they do is they just show up. And it's it's called protest, because that's what it is. They're saying no. They're protesting um, 
the proposals, but what they're doing is they're standing there um, in concert together, holding hands, mm-hmm. um, wearing indigenous clothing that is meaningful for them, that is being also actively um, stamped out, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're under pressure to stop dressing that way. And that's how they resist. And I find that um, important for us to remember as we see some of the other protests that are happening around the world that are getting a lot of attention, that there are people like this who are also standing up or also showing up um, with their bodies Mm -hmm. to stop incredibly destructive forces that are destroying our planet. Mm -hmm. And this example makes me think of another partner who's of a group of women who are resisting. They're not a Mama Cash Grantee partner, but they organize in... Um, a region of Africa where they literally they're protesting the cutting down of trees and so what they do is they go and guard the trees with their bodies and so when the loggers come to cut them down it's like it doesn't cost you as much to cut down this tree not as much also to cut down my body but it does make people stop and yeah that the example of Sabokahan also prompted in my head the same idea of literally you put your body before the thing that is going to be destroyed and say you may not see the value in the land the way it is right now but you have to go through my body to get to that welcome back it's time for our feminist mishaps well because nobody's perfect we're all human and we mess up quite often uh here's a blunder from our colleague sophia Recently, I went to the gym after work, and as I'm getting changed, I realized I had grabbed a different t-shirt than I thought I had. I had grabbed my t-shirt that says the future is female on it, and I bought it a few years ago, and I stopped wearing it pretty quickly because I realized it was not inclusive of gender non-binary or gender non-conforming people. I'm pretty embarrassed I even bought it in the first place, but that day at the gym, I had nothing else to wear. And I also kind of thought, you know, at this particular gym, I don't think anyone's going to notice, let alone care. Um, So I put it on and I head out. And uh, that day there was a trainer I hadn't seen before. And uh, as I turn around and say hello to me, I am like, oh, shit, this person could be a gender non-binary person. So then I feel very awkward about my T-shirt and how this person might feel about my T-shirt. But then on top of that, I feel awkward about you know, this instinct to try to read or quote unquote tell someone's gender, which of course uh, involves a lot of assumptions about not only what a man looks like or a woman looks like, but what a gender non-conforming person looks like. So there was a few levels of feminist mishap going on. Needless to say, the Futures female t-shirt is going in the recycling bin. Um, but I think the kind of teaching moment doesn't end there in this particular instance. I'm really sympathetic to overthinking things and then ending up uh, in a major feminist mishap. And this actually happened to me on our podcast a little while ago, the episode we did on blood, where I had just been reading about how we often use the wrong word. Um, We use vagina when when we mean vulva, we use vulva when we mean vagina. And because we were talking about blood, I had kind of really prepared myself to make sure to use the right word. And in my mind, I was just saying, don't screw up, don't screw up, use the right word, use the right word, use the right word. So, of course, when it came to it and there was a particular segment I had to do, I had all this pressure around me, like, do not use the right wrong word. Make sure you get this right. This is really important. All the feminists in the world are listening right now. Don't screw it up. And then I used the wrong word. And we had to do 
I think, three takes on it. And the producer was just embarrassed out of their mind because I had to keep saying vagina to copy over the part where I accidentally said vulva. And I had to use the same tone and I had to use the really like precise timing. And so it was just me repeating ad nauseum, vagina, 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 to replace where I had said vulva, 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 confessions of a feminist on a podcast. (laughs) Do you have your own feminist uh uh-oh moments that you want to share? Please send us your confessions anonymously if you wish, and we will share it on a future episode. We may share it on a future episode. You can reach us on Twitter at MamaCash or at T, T-E-A at MamaCash.org. Happy you were talking earlier about how powerful it has been for you to show up and celebrate really when other people are resisting mm. uh, to give to give them force right mm-hmm. and also to to take force back and kind of acknowledge the power of the disruption by just being there with other people mm-hmm. to bear witness to it and i was i've been thinking the last little while also about kind of the risks we take for our activism the risks that some of us take for our activism and the work that other activists do that isn't risky and, and they, they, they do it anyway and it's important that they're doing it, but they're not actually facing the same kinds of risks, even though they're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking particularly um, around, I've been, I've been watching, for example, what's happening um, around the climate activism that's, that's happening and, and people choosing to be arrested and what that means when someone says I'm choosing to be arrested versus other people who get arrested constantly all the time and definitely are not choosing that and have no power to stop it. Mm-hmm. And one of the trainings I received early on in my in, in when I was doing activism in Toronto was around accompanying people who are being harassed by the police or being monitored by the police and the importance of, of standing there and bearing witness, recording it, mm-hmm. Um, writing writing down what's happening um, and and what that would do to the dynamic and how that would help protect the person, make sure no um, abuse happened by the police or no extra abuse happened by the police, um, help that person see that they were not abandoned um, and just and just kind of bearing witness that actually that was a huge thing you could be doing in solidarity, even though you don't know the person, you don't know what's going on, you know you know nothing about the context, mm-hmm. but um, it acts as a pressure around the social situation to maintain certain things, especially because, for example, in, in the case of Toronto, it would be lots of young black men that this was happening to. And me not being that offered a different dynamic in the situation. Mm-hmm. That makes me, as you're speaking, makes me think, and I hesitate to say this because it's making about me, but makes me think of the times we fail to be in solidarity with people. And I say for me, because I remember one time watching, witnessing a black man getting arrested and didn't do much about it other than just watch and then pay attention to what the other police were doing to see if my body would be safe. But the, but I think the bigger point here for me is I think there's ways in which we move through the world doing things for people we care about to make sure that they're well and not necessarily putting it in a political context. But for us as feminists, how how we, we strive and are deliberate to try and be aware of when we need to be in solidarity with people. And like you say, actually run trainings to 
get better at this skill because sometimes the body's your own body is not at risk sometimes your body's privileged sometimes your body's also at risk potentially um but it it becomes so important to make it about the person whose body right now is under direct threat and how I think that the act of solidarity forces us to move from thinking you know the insular this is all about me this is me moving through the world but actually see ourselves as connected and and sh- me being possibly bringing the thing that another person can't in this moment um and i don't know i think that the question of solidarity especially i don't know in our fe- in our feminist work recently is one of those things that the word itself is used fairly often but also many times i feel people fail to actually do the thing because uh because it's it 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 could have risk um but then we fail to actually put that risk in proportion in proportion of there's another body that is in that in this present moment under direct attack um but it becomes more important for me to think about oh but what could happen to my own body whether you're doing that consciously or not I was just thinking when you were talking about where we where we put what box we put solidarity in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I experience us, we, the people, whoever I'm talking about, definitely including me at least sometimes solidarity as an as a kind of personal emotional expression mm-hmm. where it's about my altruism or something. The good thing I did today. Mm-hmm. Instead of a political commitment you're making as part of being part of a movement or something. I don't quite know what I want to say about it, but there was something in there when you said around training, which, yes, I did get trained in it, but I didn't think of it like that. But I see people talking about solidarity now as a kind of charity offer. And um, I think... I think it's coming from a good place, and so I I kind of honor and appreciate that. But for me, there's something going a bit wonky around there, where how how do we move our ideas about solidarity into a political frame? And so it's not about if I have enough, then I give a bit extra to the next person. It's from where I am, I need to do a thing Mm. um, and we can get better at it. You can get trained and get better at it, and it doesn't become about yeah kind of your your disposable extra recognizing of course we're all differently located we have um it's there are different implications depending on where where we move right and how we mm-hmm. moved so i can move into some spaces to offer solidarity and it i won't be annihilated in that process and other people cannot or in other places i would be and so i i t- yeah choose to take care of myself so accepting all that, there's still a piece in there that when it becomes about sort of personal feeling, I think people's fears stop them, but they're not actually at material risk. They're embarrassed or it's a bit awkward or, yeah. And so they, they talk about being scared. And for me, I'm kind of going, you're, you're scared of shame. You're scared of feeling awkward. You're scared of it um, being inconvenient for you sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's about that. And how do we move past that? Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is, I didn't make the point explicit, but why is comparing it to the ways that you show up for people you care for, which doesn't come from a political place, but in that moment it is not about 
me. It's not about what it will cost me. It's about this is what needs to happen because of my familial friendship, whatever commitment. And I think the same the same ethos coming from a place of political commitment that I have I have agreed to do this. I I will fail at it sometimes, but the failure doesn't mean I stop because sometimes that's the other thing that happens often in solidarity when it comes from that place of these conversations sometimes when it's about I fear I may get it wrong or I fear like that actually doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things in the grand scheme of things what matters is you've made a political commitment you need to figure out how to follow through and and use the things that that are available to you right your body in these ways or um, the resources you can access because of the body you move in and 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 therefore bring that to that political struggle. Um, and do you think there's something different there when people are showing up physically with their bodies? Because for me, that's yeah, yeah, for sure, more. for sure. Because there's, I think the physicality of it, like the so when the only analogy I have is offering comfort. When I offer comfort to somebody on WhatsApp. And I send this gif, gif, I never know which is the right way to say it. I, I, I do this because I, I hold a lot of my relationships on WhatsApp versus when I hold somebody physically. Both, both, both things come from the same place in terms of feeling, but I think the experience of it is very different. And so in the same way that when I physically show up to be in solidarity with somebody um, and why that matters, because I bring my body and all that all the energy that is in my body and most want to say the ancestors that I carry in my body. I bring that to be in solidarity with another. I think the physicality is so different and um, I don't want to say more important, but in a different realm. Mm -hmm. And what if we took it back to the beginning of where we were talking about how the body is the first site of struggle, mm -hmm. the site of resistance and the place from which we will fight about which we are fighting and from which we will know liberation mm. and what does it mean for example when you have hundreds of women showing up for a women's march physically showing up for a women's march versus signing a petition and how important it is actually for feminists to show up physically with their bodies mm. behind these causes for women's rights, for girls' rights, for trans people's rights, for intersex people's rights, mm -hmm. and how that is different than liking on Facebook, however many likes there are, um, which is a signal, but it's, it's, yeah, it's that, it's a signal. And I, I kind of want to make, make the case for that, right? Mm -hmm. Why it's important for us to continue to actually show up en masse physically together to show the power of our movements and the mm -hmm. force behind which um, we are coming when we take yeah. take on the patriarchy. And the fact that we show up in so many different types of bodies and that actually is part of the the thing that matters, right? Because it's, like when you're saying then in my head, I had this image of just the diversity of bodies that show up and how, how for example, online, it's a lot more complicated to show the diversity of bodies you have to do a bit more work to get there, but just showing up and the value of that and the power of that. So, for example, one of our partners that works in Mexico supports 
people who are going to get abortions by ensuring everybody's escorted so that that's that's the thing like the physicality of you're going to your your body's going through a particular experience and somebody else's physical body escorts you to make sure that you're well that you're safe that you have the resources that you need or even here in the Netherlands um, as we're recording this right now the country is considering creating a policy to protect visitors from protesters at abortion clinics um, which again is the same idea that as you're going through uh, to to exercise your right to do what you want with your body and there's a line of other bodies that are protesting you don't have to cross that line alone. You cross you cross that line from a place of policy with another body that will transgress that border with you. So this podcast, we've talked a lot about bodies because bodies matter for feminist struggles. They matter for Mama Cash's work. We're also running a campaign where we're talking about my body is mine. I'm doing this because I sang it a while back in a previous campaign. Um, but please join us in this campaign. We're asking you to check it out on our website or on Instagram where we invite you as part of this campaign to share a personal story about what your body, what your autonomy and what your pleasure means to you. What, what, yeah, just the ways that you embody, you live out your life, you live out your struggles in your body and you have joy in that. You can do this by sharing a selfie with one of the golden temporary My Body's Mind tattoos or just sharing a story, your story, with the hashtag My Body's Mind on Instagram. You can join and be part of our campaign by making a small donation to Mama Cash via www.mybodyismine.com. And with that contribution, you'll get three tattoos, one for yourself and two for family and friends, so that you can all become famous on Instagram and Twitter and the like with these amazing, beautiful, they're really very beautiful tattoos, and telling your story about why your body is yours. And of course, you can find Mama Cash on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and on our website at www.mamacash.org. You can follow along uh, with our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Please feel very welcome to leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you have anything else to say, you can also email us at t, that's T-E-A, at mamacash.org. And thank you so much for listening, listening to us talk a lot about our bodies. I hope it inspires you to join our campaign. And we're your hosts, Zora Musa and Happy Mwende Kinyeli, signing, signing off, off until, until the, the next time. This podcast was produced by Amanda Gickler, Mike Mirkovich, and Sophia Sewell, our colleagues at Mama Cash. <laughs>